Practice thankfulness. Think about what are you thankful for today? Um, You know, there might be things that you're going to miss um, two years from now when you look back during this time of quarantine. Um, I'm very thankful for my family. Uh, It's been a a joy to have more time, more evenings to be able to have dinner with my family uh, than I've had since I've been pastoring Rocky. Um, I'm super thankful for our medical people and our teachers and our public servants even. Some of them are under a lot of stress and um, it's been a joy to see some of them doing what's right um, despite maybe even things that are not making decisions that might not even be in their personal interest or their re-election interest to try to help uh, care for um, the public. So I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for those grocery store workers who are just doing their jobs faithfully in a time of increased risk. So there are things to be thankful for. You know, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 that we should rejoice in the Lord always. Again, he says, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Now, these are the two key words I want you to remember. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, you know, intentional thankfulness helps recalibrate our perspective. And it it, it does, according to this text, bring peace. Uh, there's a link between thankfulness and peace during challenging times. And most importantly, uh, an, an attitude and a heart of thankfulness leads to worship of God. You know, it's like that sticky faucet sometimes that in a hard time where, when it's hard to be thankful, uh, it might be hard to open, get that faucet going. But when you, you keep cranking at it, the more you, you, you start being thankful, the, the, natu- the more easy it is to be thankful and you just, Thanksgiving starts flowing from your heart and it redirects you to the big picture. Um, and, and, and it's easier to see God's kindness and faithfulness and, and that big perspective. So um, be thankful. Uh, I also want to encourage you, number two, to, to endure hardship together. Uh, don't be isolated. Don't let yourself become isolated during this time. Be the church. You know, have you reached out to anybody this weekend? Um, maybe, maybe you're feeling a little bit discouraged on day, you know, two billion of quarantine, right? I mean, maybe it seems like Groundhog Day over, you know, getting up and the same kind of thing and the walls are kind of closing in on you. Well, you know, there might be somebody even more discouraged than you. Maybe there's someone who doesn't have a family around them. They're alone. Uh, so think about that. Ask the Lord to direct your heart and, and call them, pick up, pick up your phone and give them a call. You know, there, there, there are a lot of things that we can be doing right now to serve others. Um, let me encourage you, please, right now, uh, read Denise's emails that she sends out on, on Thursdays. There, there's some gold in there. I mean, there's, there's some information on how you can serve, even in simple ways. A number of people in our church have helped make face masks, you know. Uh, we've made them for medical people. We've already made face masks for the um, jail, and they need more. So if you haven't and you'd like to, I mean, a number of people have been making masks, just cloth face masks. Um, they've got a very simple design for the, for the jail. It needs to be white, if I understand right, um, not, not fancy. And, um, and so, um, hey, if you're interested in that, contact Amanda Boone. Um, we, we 
uh, have, we, we're making them available to our church family. Last week on Monday and on uh, Thursday mornings, we had them just sitting in a box in the breezeway, and all of them were taken. So praise the Lord for that. I know there are some people in our church who really needed them and didn't know how to get them to get on the base and things like that. So um, we're going to keep making them. Um, but these are, there are other ways that you can um, help serve during this time, even from your home. So read the emails. Please, everybody, if you don't have a Facebook account, get one. And go to our Facebook page because daily we're putting stuff out there to encourage you spiritually, but also to let you know how you can, how you can serve others. But the most important thing you can do, the most important way that you can help um, others maybe get through this time is by praying. So on Wednesday nights, um, uh, Ken Bandy at 6.30 is leading a prayer time. We, we had more people join this last Wednesday night by, by Zoom. Um, again, Denise sends those emails out that, that give you the invite on Wednesday morning. So check your email. But, you know, don't let the technology scare you off. Um, uh, now's the time we need it. And even though it doesn't always work perfectly, now's the time that we need it to be able to stay connected. And it's such a beautiful thing to be able to um, pray together. So please join us this Wednesday night in prayer. And you can also sign up for a prayer slot. You'll, you'll notice in the email this morning there on, the, on our bulletin itself, there's a link. Um, at least a hundred of our church members have already been involved and signed up for prayer slots, but we have a prayer vigil going on. So sign up for a slot. Uh, we're opening that up to other people in the community who want to join. Um, pray for our community, pray for our country, pray for our world during this time. Um, the, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous person accomplishes much. So let's, let's pray as we endure hardship together. And then I finally want to just say, uh, before we jump into the text, if, if you're struggling, get help and encouragement. Um, if you email or text me or just cold call me, I will be thrilled. I will pray for you. Um, if you ask, um, we're, we elders are already praying for our church members during this time, but um, I, I would be thrilled to hear from you and to get specific personal prayer requests from you. And if you have financial need during this time, you know, maybe you've been set back, maybe you had your own business or maybe the, the group you work for downsized you, the, the company you work for downsized you during this time. Let, please let um, any one of the elders know, any elder that you're close to, um, if you regularly attend an ABF, contact your ABF lead elder. Um, but we, we want to help. We have funds available that we want to help you with. It would be our joy. So contact us. Okay. We doing okay, guys, with the tech? They can hear me? I just want to make sure. It's disconcerting if we don't know. <laughs> so, um, well, that's a little practical encouragement. You know, but, but man, there are some people right now who are suffering. Um, you know, uh, man, I just, my heart breaks for New York City and New Orleans and other places where there is a lot of death. Um, but you know, there are even some folks in our own church family, and, and I just don't want to minimize that um, at all. Um, th there is a time just to weep with those who weep. Um, man, I feel for our, our, our sister Carol. Uh, you know, we're praising the Lord that, that she finally tested positive. Praise God for that. But man, you know, week after week after week of just fighting for breath. Um, I, I praise the Lord that, that he's, he's healing her. Um, please keep her in prayers, guys. Um, and and th that, uh, you know, that her second test would come back negative. Um, and uh, did, I, did I say that right? Did I get that backwards? 
I got it backwards, I think. What I meant by positive, I think you know what I meant, right? I, meant, I praise God that she tested negative, which is a good thing, is a positive thing. You guys get that? All right, so she no longer has coronavirus, uh, as far as we know. So praise the Lord for that. Okay. Um, hey, I, I feel for um, our brother, Rick Kuka. Um, you know, guys, pray for Pray for him and Anna. He hadn't been able to see his wife in almost two months. And he knows that they have a case, at least one case, at her nursing home of the coronavirus. So, boy, we need to be praying for all of the folks right now who are separated from their loved ones. And, you know, I feel for Carolyn Seals. Um, Her husband right now is in the hospital, in the ICU still. We're hoping that she'll be able to, he'll be able to move out of the ICU. Um, But, you know, struggling with cancer. Uh, and she can't be there by his side. So pray. Let's pray. You know, be praying for one another. Pray for Carolyn. And, you know, even our, our students, I feel especially for our seniors who, um, you know, really had their, their grand finale of their high school career interrupted. And, and um, uh, it's tough. And so uh, just know I'm praying for you guys right now. I mean, I know all of you students miss your friends, but especially our seniors. It's a tough way to end your high school year. And yet, you know what? God is faithful. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So how do you get through suffering? How do we get through this time of suffering? You know, our our sermon text this morning actually gives us the answer to this important question. And I just want to tell you and remind you that, you know, the Bible is very practical. I mean, it's relevant to our lives. It's not just a bunch of heady theology It tells us how do we get through this very time of suffering. And if you you read my email to the church on Thursday, you already know the the answer. Um, You look past it. That's how you get through suffering. You you, You acknowledge it. You don't stick your head in the sand and pretend it's not there. That's really a dumb thing to do. Okay, because at some point you're going to recognize that it is there. And if you're not ready, it's going to overwhelm you. So you acknowledge it, but you don't fixate on it. You look past it. It's like a, a runner, right? If you've ever been a, uh, in a long distance race, you, you acknowledge the pain you're feeling, but you, you choose not to focus on it, but you focus on the prize, on the end of the race. Maybe you've been out on a long distance hike or you're a, you've climbed a mountain before. And there are times that it's just, you can barely put one foot in front of the other. There's just fatigue and exhaustion. And the way you, you make it is by thinking about the top. Sometimes you're not, I'll be honest, sometimes I've been climbing a mountain and I, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond looking forward with expectation to the view. I'm just looking forward to being done and, and the meal that comes when I get off the mountain. But the only way to get that meal is to get up to the top right? So you look past it. You know, you're thinking about that state dinner that awaits on the other side. Or maybe you've had a baby. Now, certain a big, you know, half at least of our population watching this morning um, can't identify completely because we haven't had babies, but maybe we were there trying to encourage, right? Um, but how, you know, you ladies who've had children, how did you get through the, the pain of childbirth and of labor. Well, you look forward to that baby that you're going to be holding in just a little while, that new life coming into the world. So how do you endure suffering? According to the Bible, 
and in our text this morning, you look past it. You look past it. You look beyond. So here's the practical question for us. How far should you look ahead? Are you, are you, are you looking two months ahead? You know, um, maybe you've read or heard some politicians say, hey, by Memorial Day weekend, things should be, you know, getting back to normal. If we can just make it two months, you know, or maybe, maybe you're looking ahead two years. Hey, I can get my old life back in two years. By, by then they'll have a super vaccine and we just won't have to, you know, this will all be an afterthought. Well, here's, here's the problem if we're choosing a date on the calendar to look forward to and we're putting all our hope there. Okay, that's a natural human thing. You know, I mean, even, even if, if, you know, even if this pandemic wasn't a reality, maybe, you know, maybe just in the, the, the struggle of, of work and stress, maybe, you know, you got a vacation on your calendar and you're just looking forward to that vacation. Well, here's the thing, right? Um, here, here's the thing, that vacation will end and you'll have to get back to life. And the, the bottom line the problem is that we don't know what the future holds in our lifetime right? You don't know that your situation is going to be better two months from now. You don't know that um, if you fixate two years from now, your situation will be better because we don't know. The, the Lord knows the future. We do not. There could be other emergencies or things that could happen. And so you could end up terribly disappointed if you set a future date uh, in, in your mind in this lifetime. In fact, you know, we don't know that we're ever going to be back to the old normal. You know, maybe that's your hope. Um, hey, in a couple months, we're just going to be back to our old lives as normal. You know, let's just hold our breath until then. Okay. Well, the truth is, we don't know at this point how this pandemic is going to change our culture or the way we have to operate, or at least for a time. And here's the deeper thing. Uh, have you thought of this? Maybe your old normal really wasn't that pleasing to God. So maybe your old normal should not be where you have your hope and your expectation, right? I mean, what would the Lord teach you through this pandemic? Because he is sovereign, right? Well, let's be sure that we focus our hearts on the finish line. Um, focus on the finish line of your race. What, what is the finish line? The finish line is future glory, what, what we call heaven. And often when we talk about heaven, uh, we might not even have a, a biblical enough um, image in our minds. Uh, so we probably don't, well, I can not say probably, we, we certainly do not um, fixate on heaven as much as we should. So I want to encourage you, put your mind on heaven. Focus, and this is our first point, if you're following along in the listening guide, focus on the great hope, on the great hope. Romans eight eighteen says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Did you catch that? I mean, that is an incredible statement. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Man, I mean, Paul understood suffering, right? I mean, Paul, you know, had his PhD in suffering, 
I mean, listen to, listen to these words out of 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. By that, he doesn't mean, you know, uh, you know he was you know, drinking a little too much or, or, you know, using illegal substance. He means people threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Man, imagine that. People that you trust, they're in your inner circle who are just waiting to stab you in the back. That's what he had to deal with. And toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. You know, Paul got suffering. But you know, he's not the only Christian to suffer. In fact, other Christians throughout history have actually, I would say, suffered more than Paul. I mean, I'm thinking about like some of our medieval brothers and sisters, right? Um, folks who, you know, right at the beginning of the Reformation, like John Huss and William Tyndall, who languished in vermin-infested dungeons, who were drawn and quartered, burned at the stake, Paul's end, according to church history, was a little better than that. Okay. Um, they did this for Jesus. You know, we often think of suffering as persecution for Jesus, like what Paul described. And we think, well, I haven't really, you know, experienced that. So does this stuff about suffering that the Bible has to say apply to me? Well, actually it does. Um, you know, suffering isn't just Persecution for Jesus. The, in fact, the context of our text here, as we kind of dig into it, uh, is actually the universal suffering that was brought on by the fall. That, that all human beings experience, including, including creation even, it says here. And we're going to get into that in a minute here. But illness and pain and death. That's what the Bible's talking about here when it talks about suffering. So I want you to know that, that this does apply to you. It applies to what we're going through right now, these, these promises, okay, of, of, of future glory being far, far greater than, than suffering. But Paul was well-educated on, on it, on suffering, right? Both the kind that we're experiencing now, that is suffering that is a result of the fall, right? I mean, remember... Paul's thorn in the flesh, that, was, that wasn't persecution from others, we don't think. That was probably a, a medical illness that he was struggling with. But he was also very aware and, and um, experienced with the kind of suffering that is brought on by being a bold witness for Jesus to people that don't want to hear it. And yet, Paul says that suffering doesn't compare with the future that awaits the Christian. That doesn't even closely compare. Pastor Kent Hughes wrote this. He begins verse 18 by saying, I consider, meaning I have thought it over carefully. I have weighed the evidence and thus reckon it to be so. No matter what we have gone through, 
are presently going through or will go through, the sum total is not worth comparing with the glory that awaits us. We can compare a thimble of water with the sea, but we cannot compare our sufferings with the coming glory. Man, that is incredible. I mean, I, I can't, I mean, you know, you take a cup of water or a thimble of water and that's, that's your totality of your sufferings and compare it with the sea. That's what Paul's saying here. Okay, I mean, Paul, are you crazy? Are, are you sure that our future is that much greater than our present suffering? Well, Paul's not just going one off here, right? We're not just misunderstanding verse 18. He wrote the same thing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. He said, and he's talking about suffering, so do we, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, meaning our, our bodies are dying on us, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now maybe you've wondered, what kept Paul going through all of his sufferings and, and persecution, right? Well, you know what? He ran his race for the prize, looking at the finish line. And do you know that Paul actually had a vision of heaven? He, he talks about it kind of opaquely in 1 Corinthians twelve four, But God actually gave Paul a visceral vision of heaven. It was so visceral that he says he's not sure if he was actually kind of like dreaming or if he was actually in his, with his body actually like teleported to heaven for just a moment to, to catch a, a glimpse of the grandeur. He describes it in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 as, as and he actually can't even say uh, in, in, the, in the first person as he describes it. He talks about himself in, in the third person. He says, and he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. So, so Paul was given that vision, just a glimpse, maybe it was a couple seconds of heaven and that propelled him through all kinds of suffering. He could have joy because he had his mind on the finish line. So what does this great hope that we're talking about of, of future glory beyond all comparison look like? Well, I want to encourage you to try to help set your mind on heaven, to read a book. I've mentioned this before to you uh, in my email on Thursday. I actually sent you a link so you could download it uh, or, or order it on Amazon um, by Randy Alcorn, Heaven. Good, thick book. I feel very biblical. Uh, certainly he engages the imagination. Uh, there is some speculation, um, but it's, it's sound. And this, this will really help you wrap your mind around heaven. I, 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 I keep giving these things away and having to order new ones. Um, but let me tell you, man, if, you're, if you have a you know, a loved one who's passed away recently or, or is, is, you know, greatly struggling, or you're struggling with your health. This is a really good book to read. But for all of us, this is a good book to read to really help you flush it out. Put some meat on the, on the bones in your mind of, of heaven. So read this book. C.S. Lewis preached a sermon in 1941 
at the church of St. Mary the Virgin in Oxford called The Weight of Glory. And in this sermon, he summarized the Bible's promises about our future in heaven under five headings. And you might want to go back and Google that and check that sermon out. But here are the five headings, just to kind of tease your mind a little bit. Uh, Number one, we shall be with Christ. Number two, we shall be like Christ. Think on that one. Number three, we shall have glory. Think on that one too. Number four, I really like, we shall be feasted. And number five, now now, let me just, you know, Lisa's give me a look. Um, Let me describe that. We're not talking about cannibalism, obviously. Um, We shall be well fed. We shall be enjoying the banqueting supper of the lamb. Number five, we shall have some official position in the universe. And, and I really am grateful to Alcorn for um, kind of unpacking that concept of purpose and work. Remember, work is pre-fall. God designed us to be caretakers of this earth. Um, Bible talks about positions of authority and caretaking with great purpose. I believe as well, great continual discovery. And of course, the worship of God will be at the center of everything. But if you've ever attended a garden and you've found great satisfaction and joy tending, tending that garden, that I think that's a signpost of heaven. Lewis wrote this later. He said, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. So often our lives are that way, right? Just trying to grasp. Think about that. Grasping. I just want my old life back. That might be a mud pie when God offers you a beautiful holiday at at the sea. Put your mind on heaven. Put your mind on that great hope. Also, number two, our second point, uh, and this is a very interesting text we're going to look at here, verse 19 to 22nd, uh, uh, is focus on the real hope, the real hope, okay, of heaven. Actually, when we say heaven, um, again, I, I almost don't like just to throw the word heaven out there because people have very unbiblical ideas that are kind of influenced by pantheism. You know, that we're just kind of disembodied spirits floating around on clouds. Totally unbiblical, okay? Uh, heaven is the new heavens and the new earth. God designed this beautiful place where we live for us to come and, and to, for him to dwell with us on it. So it'd be better to think about a return to Eden. And we're going to talk about that. In, in, in a little bit here, okay? Um, so, th- but this is a very interesting text because uh, here creation is personified to actually be suffering along with us. To be suffering pain, illness, and death with humans longing for Jesus to come back and end its curse. 
So it's an interesting text. And the reason I say, uh, title this focusing on the real hope is because the, the earth that we live on is real to us. And it's hard to get excited about a place that doesn't seem real to us. Okay, so the truth is that many of us get more excited about a trip to go see the Rocky Mountains, let's say, you know, um, or, you know, or to go to some other place on earth that's beautiful. We get more excited about that than we are about heaven. And again, you know, it's the mud pie thing, right? We, 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 we tend to focus just on what we, what we know or can, what's tangible. So the, the truth is that heaven, i.e. that is the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth is a real hope that, that I hope you'll get really excited about this morning. Uh, this is a real hope, okay, um, of, no, uh, of a future uh, on a recreated earth with out this curse of sin that we slug through right now. And that creation slugs through, that it groans through. So look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So just in case you're not, it's not clear to you, what, what are we talking about? What is Paul talking about with creation? Well, he's talking about the, the birds of the sky, the, the trees and the forests and all the animals that live within them, the, the creatures of the sea. That's what he's talking about here with creation. That groans, but that waits with eager expectation. And, you know, God made a beautiful earth. I mean, this, it is a beautiful creation, but it is fallen. It is actually disappointing and disappointed. It's less than perfect. And so it, it's disappointed in its current situation because that's not it was, what it was created to be. You know, animals have very little trust for other animals. Now, I'm not talking about your puppy that has only ever known unconditional or mostly unconditional love, right, and regular feedings. I'm talking about the, the creation today where animals know that the majority of other animals are trying to kill and eat them. And so they, they live in fear constantly. And, um, and, and, show what we might consider to be barbarous behavior towards one another. I remember a few years ago, I was out paddleboarding with Mike Wilde and it was just a beautiful morning. And I just said something about this, you know, God's beautiful creation. He says, yeah, but you know, every fish is trying to eat the next one. <laughs> it was kind of a downer. I'm like, hey, thanks, man. But you know, Mike was absolutely right. It is a fallen world. It is a beautiful world. We still see the glory of God in it. But it is fallen and that is not the intent. And that is not the future of it either, right? But it's true. I mean, you get under the water and snorkel or go scuba diving and you see there every fish is either trying to eat the next fish or trying not to get eaten. That's what's going on. Death and decay are so much the norm in creation that it's, it's frankly hard for us to wrap our minds around and even imagine a creation without the cycles of death. And without disease and without carnivory 
And I'll be honest, as a Texan, I struggle with that last one. What's heaven going to be like without meat, like beef, you know, steak? Well, I have to just trust that the Lord who said this is good says that is superb. So there's something better that I can't even imagine yet awaiting. Well, the Bible has answers. The Bible has answers to the questions people are asking. Why the coronavirus? Right? Why, why, why death? Why illness? Why suffering? We groan and, and we wonder. Well, the Bible answers it. And it says because this earth is cursed because of our sin in Adam. Back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, we, we read these horrific words. Can you imagine what it would have been like to, you know, Adam knew Eden. He knew a perfect world. What would it have been like for the animal kingdom and, and you know, the, the entire creation to all of a sudden be subjected to the change that the curse brought? And Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Pastor Kent Hughes said the, the animal world was invaded by fear and violence. The loveliest, the loveliest scenes in nature while remaining beautiful are also witness to bloody horrors. Floods, hurricanes, droughts, tornadoes, blights, avalanches, and earthquakes stalk the earth. Pandemics that we know right now. Um, other people have had to deal with far worse. Um, Ebola, uh, the plague, um, pollution. We're blessed to live in a community without a whole lot of it. But let me tell you, I've lived in places where mankind has just blighted the earth with pollution. Um, the, the air in Kabul, uh, when I was in Afghanistan, I was in another city, it was bad too, but Kabul was even worse. It was said at the time to be the, the, the most polluted air on earth. Had the highest count of fecal bacteria um, in the air of any place on earth. I mean, it was, you, you know, people were getting sick all the time just from breathing the air. Um, creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth, according to this text. Creation is groaning. It is struggling because it's not what it was originally meant to be. It, it is disappointed, and yet it looks forward with anticipation. There is pain in childbirth, but there is hope in childbirth. When a baby is born, the agony and the groaning turn to peace and to delight. And that's where we put our focus, right? I mean, how many Facebook posts have you ever seen where some knucklehead has taken a picture of his, of his wife in the agony of labor? Hopefully none. Hopefully nobody's that dumb, right? Um, but what you see is, is maybe a tired woman, but with joy holding a newly born baby. Because childbirth brings peace and delight from agony and groaning. And so creation joins us here 
Paul writes, in looking forward to the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 19. Now, when I first read that, I thought, okay, that's interesting. Uh, what are these sons of God? You know, is that like the angels? You know, Nephilim? Uh, what's it talking about here? You know, is this maybe one of those obscure passages that you've kind of just kind of, well, you weren't quite sure, so you just kind of, you know, skimmed right past it? Uh, well, I, I hope not, because this is one of the most, this is, Romans 8 is just a gold mine. It's just beautiful. I mean, there is so much to apply to our lives. But, you know, the best way to understand the Bible is, it isn't to go get a PhD in Hebrew or Greek. Uh, it's just to read the Bible a lot. Okay? Scripture interprets itself. Right? Um, well, here we see, when we look at sons of God, all you got to do is look up to verses 15 to 17. Uh, passage that Pastor Bill did a wonderful job uh, expounding on last week and, and applying to our lives. Boy, he set this sermon up perfectly. Um, so look back with me, if you will, to verse 15 of Romans chapter 8. Uh, just jump up. And if you're looking at the ESV, if that's what you have at home, it's, on, you know, it's just uh, at the top of your page here. Verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. So what Paul's talking about here is us, Christians, sons and daughters of the king. And this is a reference to the consummation Jesus' return to the earth to, to judge the earth and to undo the curse and to recreate the earth and to make it right. So Paul is not talking or teaching the annihilation of the world. Maybe that's the vision you've had. That he's just going to blow it all up, you know. He, he's talking about liberation of the world from its curse and its transformation into a place that is suited and ideal, ideal for us to live with our God. It's a restoration to Eden that we look forward to and the earth looks forward to. It's the new heavens and the new earth described in Revelation 21 and 22. And so in verse 19, we read that creation looks with eager expectation. That, that word uh, those, those words in the original language, eager expectation. You could, you could translate that or say, leaning forward out of an intense interest and desire. I actually like the Phillips translation here. Okay, it's kind of a paraphrase, but I think they tagged it here. Verse 19, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. It's almost a picture of metamorphosis going on here. Okay, transformation. Creation is pictured here, joining the Christian attitude of eager expectation. Eager expectation towards the return of Jesus that we see throughout the New Testament. In texts like Hebrews 9, 28, that says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin. That's what he did the first time, right? but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Galatians 5.5, 5, 
For through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We're going to touch on this in just a second here when I hope to bring this home with that third point. Okay, Um, The difference between our past salvation and our future salvation. Okay, because sometimes we might mix those terms up in our mind. Okay, but right now, I want you to, I want to just ask you, are you waiting along with creation for Jesus' second coming? We sung already this morning, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. So let's look at our third point here. And, and that is, we need to focus. To, to, how, how, do you get, how do you get through hard times? How do you get through trials, right? Um, focus with eagerness, not hum-ho, ho-hum. Focus with eagerness on the final hope, the final hope. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Well, there's a parallel passage. And again, just to bring it home, what Paul's talking about, okay, here. Um, he's talking about groaning because we're living in a, in a fallen world where we do suffer illness. And we suffer decay and death and, and sin, right? And how we, we long for the new heavens and the new earth. In 2 Corinthians 5, 2, Paul writes, for in this tent, he means in this body, like these fallen bodies that are frankly, the older we get, falling apart on us, okay? Um, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Do you long for that? Do you look forward to that? Do you look forward to your new body? I do. We're gonna circle back around to that in just a minute. But you know, it says here, the, the word groan, we groan inwardly. Remember, Jesus groaned in his spirit at the tomb of Lazarus. Even though he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he entered into our human experience of groaning the ravages of the effects of sin on a family he loved. Ray Steadman writes, our lives consist of groans. We groan because of the ravages that sin makes in our lives and in the lives of those we love. Also, we groan because we see possibilities that are not being captured and employed. And then we groan because we see gifted people who are wasting their lives. And we would love to see something else happening. We groan in our spirits. We groan in disappointment, in bereavement, in sorrow. We groan physically in our pain and our limitation. Life consists of a great deal of groaning. But we don't just groan, brothers and sisters. We wait eagerly. It's the same word here used in verse 23 as in verse 19. The same word used for creations waiting on tiptoe for final future glory. You know, in this text here, we read the the word, you see the, the words, the first fruits of the Spirit. And that might confuse you a little bit. Well, what does that, what does that mean? Um, he, he's talking about salvation. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, who have the, the Holy Spirit living in us, but he, he, he's, he's just giving, what, what we have right now is experience 
uh, of peace with God relationally and forgiveness of sin. So there's great joy we have in that experience. But we still are groaning in a fallen world that has sickness and that has death. So, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is, has given us the first fruits um, of our salvation. But we're not there yet. We've been saved, past tense. But we are looking forward to our hope is final salvation. And that is what theologians call glorification. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Right? In which, which the new soul we have is matched with a new body and a new physical reality. And we look forward to that day. So I just want to stop and say this. When you go out for a, a paddle on a still morning, okay, out in the water on the bayou, or if you are watching a beautiful sunset from the beach, you, you should enjoy the moment. Okay, that's a signpost of future glory. Enjoy the moment. Give God praise. Commune with God. But don't put your hope in more sunsets, if that makes sense. And that's what we tend to do. Man, that was a great meal. I got to get me more of that. And if I can just make sure that I have a life set up for another hundred steaks, I'll be okay. And that's where my hope is. Well, that's mud pies. Does that make sense? Mud pies. Don't put your hope in more sunsets. Put your hope in the future glory to which this moment you're experiencing points. We will be feasted for eternity. Now let's consider the words here in verse 23, adoption as sons. It'd be easy to think back to your moment of salvation. Okay. But here he's actually talking about something in the future. Okay. He's talking about glorification. The redemption of our bodies. That's what he, he says. He says in verse 23 here, he says, the adoption or the, I'm sorry, yeah, the adoption of sons, which is the redemption of our bodies. So we often tend to think past tense when we think of adoption. We think, hey, that's the moment that God took me and he, he you know, I was a child of Satan. I was, I was at opposition to God and he took me and he brought me into his family. And that's true positional, relational salvation. But here he's actually talking about the future. Yes, our souls have been saved, but our hope is in the future. It's after we die when we're given resurrection bodies. Our present bodies now know decay and they are subject to sickness, but not in the future. Our bodies are going to be like Christ's resurrection body. And that is way cool, let me tell you. Well, how can I say that? That, okay, you, you can remember Jesus, right? Walking through walls, teleporting in a glorified body, right? No more pain, no more sickness. Um, uh, able to do things that are way cool that we can't fully imagine right now. Well, why should I think or why should I say here, you know, on camera to you in your living rooms, um, uh, that we are going to have the same kinds of bodies that Jesus did? Well, that's what the Bible says. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says, but our citizenship, meaning that where we put our hearts and our hope, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even subject to all, to all things to himself. 
Or 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. One scholar put it this way. As the physical body is admirably suited to life in this world, the promised spiritual body will be seen to be wonderfully congruent with the realm of light and freedom and limitless movement. But most important of all, it will be like the body of him who has provided redemption from sin and death. This is the spirit's worth of glorification. So brothers and sisters, don't be short-sighted. Put your hope not on just getting back to life as normal post-COVID-19. Put your hope and your eyes on the finish line of your race. We each have different races to run. Put your eyes on the finish line. Okay, uh, we should do everything we can to preserve life. I believe that. Our lives right now are a gift from God. I'm so thankful for our medical providers who are even taking increased risks now to help preserve life. Um, we should try to live as long as we can, but that's not where we should put our hope. Does that make sense? Living as long as we possibly can. Um, you who get to the finish line before I, how happy are you? Brother Aubrey, I don't know if you can hear me. I am praying for you. Carolyn, I, I, I talked to you yesterday or two days ago and you said that you're able to listen and stream. Good on you, by the way, for figuring out the technology. We're proud of you. Um, but you know, um, Aubrey, <laughs> we are with you. We love you. We're praying for you. We're praying that God will even miraculously heal you and give you more time with your wife. But how happy are you? If, if tomorrow you end up there crossing that finish line, Man, we are cheering you on. How happy are you? Put your mind there. Look forward to it. Try to live as long as you can, but look forward to that day that you win the prize. So here's my question for you. Here's what you're supposed to do with this, right? Uh, Christianity is not supposed to be a spectator sport. So you are not supposed to turn your TV off uh, in, in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And just kind of go back to your normal day or, you know, watch something else um, and forget about what we're talking about. Right. Uh, I have an assignment that everybody uh, needs to do. And that is around your lunch table. I want everybody to hold each other accountable and to discuss one question. I'm going to try to make it very simple. Um, I believe we're going to put this up on the on the, uh, you know, on your TV screen for you to see. And I actually want you to do something different with this uh, 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 to answer this question, right? Talk about it with your family members. But I want you today, like sooner the better, get on our Facebook page. And I want you to answer this question for each other. Um, I don't want to get off topic too much, but let me encourage all of you to, if, if you have Facebook, um, to engage with our church's Facebook page. In the past, it's kind of sat there dormant paid to paid a little bit of attention to but I know some of you spend a lot of time on Facebook because I see some of your comments all over the place uh, which are wonderful encouraging each other in your walk with the Lord so let's do that on our church Facebook page and not let it just kind of sit there dormant right I would like to see dozens of comments uh, man I'd be thrilled if there were a hundred of them on there saying answering this question because you can help spur each other on does that make sense you can help 
spur me on and give me more creative ideas for how I can do this. So here's your question. This week, how will you intentionally focus your eyes on the finish line of your race? I can anticipate a lot of different possible answers on that one, right? This week, how will you intentionally focus your eyes on the finish line of your race? Um, Be super creative here. Some of you are artists and you are creative, so be creative with your answer. Some of you might say, hey, you know what? I've never done it before, but I'm going to read this book, Heaven, and start thinking more about heaven. Uh, Someone else might say, well, you know, uh, from now on, whenever I see a sunset, you know, I'm going to go back. I'm I'm going to read Revelation 21, verse 1. Um, You know, or, or, uh, you know, I'm going to give praise to God and I'm going to let that be a signpost and I'm going to think about how much more beautiful and real the sunsets of heaven shall be. Um, whatever. Yeah, I'm sure you could come up with a lot of answers. But your question is, this week, and, I, and around your tables, please, um, please maybe, maybe right now before you even get to the table, you just want to stop and, and talk about this with your family. This week, how will you intentionally focus your eyes on the finish line of your race. As we close, I'd like to invite you to turn to Hebrews 12, verse 1, and it gives us some guidance. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, which you um, Bible uh, scholars know comes right after Hebrews 11, that great chapter of faith and the race of faith. And we see this picture here of a race that we're running, that we're all running. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Maybe you've been there and you've climbed a mountain before. I remember 20, well, I guess 18 years ago, seven, uh, climbing Half Dome out there in Yosemite with my wife. We, we weren't rock climbers going straight up the granite. We were going up the backside, which was still hard. And I remember, you know, we were pulling ourselves up these, these, these um, cables to, to, to get up. To get up and, and, you know, we're exhausted and the sun's beating down on us. But, you know, there were other people going up too who were, we were all encouraging each other. And some people were coming back down and they were telling us, hey, don't quit. You know, you're almost there. And the view up there is worth it. It's totally worth it. Don't stop. Don't quit. That's what we're supposed to be like, right? With one another. So Rick, Kuka, we are praying for you and Anna. I mean, I'm praying for you guys daily. And we're cheering for you and we're cheering for Anna. And we're, we're trying to pray you to the finish line. And, and Caroline, like I said, and Aubrey, we are cheering for you. You might cross that finish line before we do, but it is going to be so worth it. It is going to be so worth it. Paul had a chance just for a glimpse, and that's what he's saying. It is so worth it. Keep running the race. And here's how you do it. Verse 2, Hebrews chapter 12. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So how did, how did Jesus run his race? Like, how did he do it? Because he had a hard race. He had a hard race. How did he do it right? He knew what was coming throughout his life. 
He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. I mean, every morning when he woke up, he knew one more day until the big one. He, I, I'm thankful. I don't know the future. Um, um, God's been kind to us. <laughs> Jesus had um, omniscience. Uh, he had to get through life knowing what was coming. How did he do it? How did he endure the cross? Well, we see here how he did it. He looked past the pain. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for my dear church, going through a hard time right now, um, separated from those they love, and um, many dealing with cabin fever, um, some people even having to deal with fear, some, uh, one, one, of our, one of our own who's had to deal with this actual sickness, um, others dealing with medical issues, but they, they can't be with their family members, um, being separated, um, others struggling, not knowing where things are going to be a month or two from now economically, uh, financially. Lord, I just pray that your word would bring great encouragement. Lord, help us to do what we need to do each day with what you revealed to us. Uh, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Lord, help us to just make the best decisions with what you show us each day, but to keep our hearts focused on the finish line. Make us truly excited about heaven. Thank you that Jesus said he went, he went ahead to prepare a place for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, here is an amazing chance for you to apply everything that Pastor Troy has just spoken about. So let me read this uh, that was just passed along to me. Uh, one of our elders, Dr. Joshua Latham, is going to be able to see Aubrey Seals tonight uh, when he goes on shift. And so he has offered to take notes of encouragement to him. What a great thing for us to do. Now, he's going to be leaving uh, for work at 6 p.m. So there are two ways that we can do that. Number one, we're going to tape a large envelope uh, to the conference hall doors, which are right across from the sanctuary. And if you'd like to write a physical note and drop it in there and have that be taken, that's the way to do that. Got to drop that off before 6 p.m. And the second way is you can email your note to Joshua Latham. I'm not going to try to read his email address. You can find it in the directory. But what a great way to apply everything that we've just heard. So I hope that you'll uh, do that. And uh, will you close by singing with us as we sing about our eager expectation of our great and final hope, Christ. Let's do that today. Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. Now there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy. Through every trial, my soul will sing, no turning back. I've been set free. 
our eyes upon you, and we eagerly wait for the full realization of our final hope in you, in heaven forever and ever, where we will praise you without ceasing. Amen and amen. <laughs> 